Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. I thought I would do something a little bit differently since I am imagining right now all of you sitting on your couches or, uh, again, some other place that's not like the church sanctuary. Uh, I thought I'd sit as well, and maybe we could have a little bit more of a kind of a living room conversation here, even as I begin to, to preach God's Word. So if you would, uh, pray with me. Uh, let's ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open up your word, and Lord, specifically to apply it to this moment. Father, would you give us wisdom? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you draw our attention and affections to you? And Father, would we be a people then who glorify you by our lives as we love you and love one another and reflect the goodness of Christ. We pray that in his name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to start off by addressing a question that somebody actually asked me earlier this week, and uh, it's, a great, it's a great question, and maybe it's a question that's been on some of your minds. The question was this. Can we look at this moment, this pandemic, the COVID-19, and can we say that this is God's judgment? So my answer to that question uh, was actually nuanced. Uh, the answer is, I think, both a yes and a no. And I want to explain that a little bit. This will transition us really well, actually, into our sermon passage for today. Uh, let me start with the no. All right. I think we have to be very, very careful not to uh, place some kind of, of meaning of a specific judgment on any event, this one or any other, uh, paired up with a specific uh, sin or specific reason. The reason I say that is because we don't have a direct word from God about that. When we look at the Bible, we see, and certainly there are specific judgments that are pronounced against specific things. Even as we're going through the minor prophets, we see that happening. But there's something very different in those moments. God is speaking directly to his prophets and his people, and he's making that declaration. This is happening because of that. We don't have that, right? And so we have to be very careful. Even as we read Scripture, we may get some indications as to why God is judging certain things or how God might judge, but to apply that to a specific moment and give a specific reason would be very foolish. Uh, you might remember just a, just a couple years back, uh, there was a particular Hollywood starlet who, who said something like this. She said uh, that the reason why Hurricane Harvey had happened was because God was, or, or perhaps Mother Nature, I think is what she actually said, was judging our political decisions as a country. And even this last year, we saw the same thing happening with some of the big wildfires that were going across the world, people making specific claims like that. And we hear those claims in those moments, and we think, that's unfounded, right? That feels very silly to us. And we, we should then take that same sort of suspicion and apply it when we hear people saying that this is God's judgment because of you know, X, Y, or, or Z. Um, in fact, 
there's a couple of things in Scripture that can help us understand why we ought not to do that. And one of the first ones is from the book of Job. You might recall that Job's friends pointed to Job's specific calamities and gave reasons why this was, this was why God was acting. God was acting in response to this particular thing in your life, Job. And remember what the, the Lord says to those friends in Job chapter 42, verse 7. He says, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So God is saying, it's not right to speak of me. It's not right to attribute to me things I have not attributed to myself. We also see in Isaiah chapter 55, God says this, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So my no answer is not, let's not put words in God's mouth. Um, here's the other side of that, though. Here's my, here's my yes, my perhaps, my maybe answer. We can look to Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to turn there and read to you a little bit from, from Romans chapter 1. Uh, because we see that the Apostle Paul talks in not specific terms, but general terms about God's judgment on the world, and he gives us reasons why. He says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, against all of the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And he goes on to say, what can be known about God is clear. If we look around and we, we see even within creation, all of the things that God has made visible to us about his invisible attributes. And we're held accountable. We ought to know that there is a God in heaven. We ought to know that there is a creator that we're accountable to. We ought to know. And he says, because we suppress that knowledge, his wrath is revealed. And he says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. For what? For images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. He's saying, You've not acknowledged me as the Creator. Rather, you've looked to creation and you've given honor there. Uh, you've put your hope, your trust, your confidence in creation rather than the creator. That's the suppressing of the truth. And therefore, he says, his wrath is being revealed. In other words, judgment, the judgment of God is in that sense always upon us. It's always upon the world for the suppression of the truth. And of course, if you read through the rest of that chapter, Romans chapter 1, you see how God then says some specific ways that that judgment is being uh, met out. But, but the judgment really is on our um, constant state of sin. 
There was, a, there was a, uh, a quote that was going around social media earlier this week that was being attributed to Bill Gates. And I don't think he actually said this, but clearly somebody did. It was quoted, and, and, uh, and, and it was speaking about coronavirus. And the quote was this. It was that, that something we could learn from coronavirus is it's reminding us that this earth is sick. And later said that we are sick because our earth is sick. Now, there's something interesting about that quote. I think the Apostle Paul would actually turn that around and say, no, actually, the earth is sick because we're sick. Our sin has caused the fall, and that fall has spread to all of creation. If you look at Romans chapter 8, he talks more about that in detail, saying all of creation is groaning and longing for the redemption that comes in Jesus Christ. So this virus is a part of that brokenness. All calamity and all destruction is a part of that brokenness. And in that sense, we can say the wrath of God is being poured out against a world that is suppressing the truth. These are God's wake-up calls to remind us there's a God who deserves our acknowledgement, who deserves our obedience, who deserves and is worthy of our love and affection, rather than us saying, no, we want idols. We want something else. We want to put our hope in creation rather than in the creator. Now, that said, I think that's a good segue into the sermon passage that was regularly scheduled for today, because in Micah chapter 5, we have some, some helpful guidance to identify those idols that make us sick. We have an opportunity there to see some, some good clarity given as to what are these things that we, what we so often look to and replace God with. And then ultimately, what then must God do in order to take sick people like us and make us well? So let me guide you in reading um, through this passage. If you want to flip over to, to Micah chapter 5, Micah chapter 5, if you're thumbing through your Bibles, it's, it's pretty near the uh, end of the Old Testament. <clears throat> and I want to read through uh, a few verses here. I'm going to read starting in verse 10. And I want to help you to, to just to kind of an aside here, help you to know how do you read through these Old Testament passages. And you're reading these things at home and you're hearing language that's that's very foreign to you. You're hearing about things that don't seem to have much relevance to your life. How do you read these things and, and know how to apply them? So let's look at uh, that verses 10 through 14 together. And let me walk you through this. Verse 10 says, And in that day, declares the Lord, and that day, by the way, he's referring to, again, this day of judgment, this specific judgment that he's pronounced upon his people because of their idolatry, because of their sin, in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you and will destroy your chariots. Now maybe you read that and you think, okay, I don't have horses and I don't have chariots. So what does this mean for me? Well, think about what does a horse and a chariot represent in an ancient culture like this? Right? Just, just use a little bit of thinking and a little bit of common sense. If you need to Google this, look it up. Right? But what does a horse and a chariot represent? It represents military. 
right? It's, horses and chariots were, were like armored tanks for them. It, there's, a, there's a picture here of their, of their might and of their power. And that's something that we can certainly apply to ourselves. God is saying, in that day, I'm going to cut off your self-reliance on your own power and your own might. Verse 11, and I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all of the strongholds. You say, okay, what does that mean? What do cities and strongholds represent? Well, your city in your ancient society was, was, was usually walled in. It's a stronghold. It's like a fortress. It's a fortification. And that has to do with our security. So God's saying, in that day, because of these idols, I'm going to cut down your sense of security in them. I'm going to remove that from you. Keep reading. And he says, and I will cut off, this is verse 12, I will cut off sorceries from your hand and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And you th- might think again, okay, I, I, I don't go to a fortune teller. What does that represent? Well, think about it. What do you do? If you were to go to a fortune teller, what are you doing? What are you asking for? You're asking for some kind of clarity about the future. You want to know what's going to happen, Right? Why would you want to know that? You want to know that because you're looking for some sense of control. We all want to know what's going to happen tomorrow. It helps us feel in control. And so God's saying, look, that's what I'm going to be cutting away. I'm going to be cutting away your self-reliance. You're looking to idols for some sense of control. And finally, he says, and I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you. And you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. So here we see God saying some some language that, that sounds a little bit more like what we think of when we think of idols, carved images. We think about these pillars that we, that we might set up, the things that we've made with our own hands. And he says in verse 14, I will root out your Asherah. We talked about this a little bit in a previous message from Micah, but this is something where if you're reading this on your own, you know, maybe you Google that term. What is an Asherah? What is Asherah? And you'll find when you do that, that, that the Asherah is a, is, is a particular goddess uh, linked with the god of Baal, Baal and Asherah. And bottom line was this, that, that the people of, of the ancient Near East looked to these two gods, God and goddess, to, uh, to provide for them fertility for their crops. So this is an, an agricultural society. And so they, they, in worshiping, and they did this in gross ways, they did this in sexual ways, in worshiping Baal and Asherah, what they were doing was they were, they were pleading for uh, fertile growth. It was about making money. Right? It's about producing their crop, their livelihood. And so this is about prosperity. And here the Lord again says, you've put your hope in created things and in things of your own hands for your own prosperity. And I'm going to cut that out. Remember what an idol is. An idol is a replacement for God. An idol is anything that I look to to give to me what God alone can ultimately give to me. 
It's, a, it's someplace or someone or something that I put my hope in, I put my trust in. And the thing about idols is they always, they always turn back on self. In other words, they're always an opportunity for us to say, ultimately, I'm going to find my own way. It goes back to the original sin of, of Genesis chapter 3. It's this declaration, God, I don't need you. I don't need you. I'm self-reliant. I'm self-sufficient. And that is the biggest idol of them all, self-sufficiency. So what is God doing here in Micah chapter 5? God is loving his people. He's calling them back to himself. And he's saying, because of your idolatries, because you've rejected me, because of your sin, and, and by the way, that's evidenced not just in their ignoring him, but evidenced in the way that they, they're treating one another. There's, a, there's a, an oppression and injustice in society, and God's saying, all of this is because you've turned from me. But I am committed to you. I will judge your sin. But at the same time, I want to make you well. So these things that we just read that, that God has cut off or saying that he will be cutting off from them, you think of it in terms of, of a, a painful surgery that's required in order to make us well, to make his people well. I want you to think about this current moment and let's apply this text to the moment. I asked earlier, do we think about the pandemic that we're in the midst of as God's judgment? In a Romans 1 sense, let's say yes, right? Just in that sense, let's say that, that this is a reminder to us that the world is broken. This is a reminder to us that we are broken, that we need the Lord. We need salvation. We need redemption. We're sick. And we need to be made well. So how do we not waste this moment? God's saying, I'm going to take moments like these to do surgery on my people in order to make you well. I'm going to cut out the cancer. I'm going to cut out the disease. And these are the ways in which God is saying he's going to do that, at least in this moment. And I think it's applicable for us. Four things that the Lord must cut off to make us well. He must cut off our self-reliance for obtaining power. He must cut off our self-reliance for obtaining our own security. He must cut off our self-reliance for obtaining our own sense of control. And he must cut off our self-reliance for obtaining our own sense of prosperity. You know, if I had to preach this message six weeks ago, the application would be there. It would be good, I hope, right? We'd, we'd be able to look at our lives and say, Where am I, how am I grasping for my own sense of power, security, control, prosperity, right? But isn't it interesting that within the last couple of weeks, even within just the last few days, our outlook has changed. The world has changed. Perhaps your sense of power and security have changed drastically. I hope they have. Who can look around at this time right now and not say that these, these idols in our lives 
haven't been exposed as worthless. Who feels powerful right now? We live in the most powerful nation on earth. This is the most the richest nation on earth. Perhaps you could say that it's the most powerful and richest nation that the world has ever seen. And yet we look to our government right now. We look to the best scientists that we have right now. And while I'm thankful for them, and they're doing good work, are you confident? Does their power seem to have any effect on the spread of this disease and the effect on our lives? Or are we brought to our knees? We have been brought to our knees. Who feels powerful right now? Who feels secure? When you're going to the grocery store, you're constantly looking around you and you're wondering, is this, is this been infected? Is there, are there germs over here? Do I have enough personal protective equipment? Is there enough hand sanitizer? Do you feel secure? What have you been putting your trust in for your security thus far, and is it meeting your need? What about this idea of control? That's a big question on our minds right now. Do you feel in control? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen in a month from now? If you've been trusting in your planning, if you've been trusting in your preparedness, do you feel in control now? And certainly the prosperity question is big on our minds. You know, we were six weeks ago, we had the, the, the you know, well, at least I've been told, the best economy that we've ever seen as a country. Within one week, all of the gains were wiped out. Now we're talking about recession. And if this goes on any further, of course, now they're talking about depression. See, we've been very good as a people and as a society of, of making money an idol. We've been very good at building up our own sense of self-reliance for our prosperity. We can work hard enough. We can invest smart enough. And in a moment, God can say, I cut it out. I can take it away. And we look like fools. Our self-reliance is exposed. You know, there's an old saying, it's not in the Bible, and oftentimes people confuse it for being in the Bible. The saying says, you know, God helps those who help themselves. That's, that's wrong. Here's what the Bible actually tells us. God helps those who cannot help themselves. God helps those who know they can't help themselves. That's called Grace. Pandemics are terrible things. Viruses are scary things. The good news that we can look to in all of that is to know that God is bigger. God is powerful. Our security in his hands is unshakable. He's in control. 
And all things, in terms of prosperity, all things come from Him. And when we've been stripped away from our sense of self-reliance, that's grace. It's judgment, but there's grace in that. There's grace to be reminded by a good and loving God that he wants to wake us up. He wants us to put away our idols. He wants to do painful surgery on us, perhaps, but the goal in that is to make us well. There's a, I mentioned that quote earlier, the, the social media posts from, uh, supposedly from Bill Gates. Again, I'm not sure it was Bill Gates, but there, there was another line in that that says this. Whereas many see the coronavirus, the COVID-19 virus, as a great disaster, I prefer to see it as a great corrector. It's sent to remind us of the important lessons that we seem to have forgotten, and it's up to us if we'll learn them or not. I'd like to think Bill Gates said something like that, because there's something very profound and important about that. It's up to us whether or not we will learn the important lessons that have been sent to us. There's a destiny of people who will humbly undergo this surgery, and there's a destiny for those who won't. Look back at at Micah chapter 5. Let's start with the destiny of those who won't. It's found at the very last verse, verse 15, and the Lord says, And in anger and wrath I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. When the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness, against those who suppress the truth, and the response is, I'm going to continue to suppress the truth. I'm not going to humble myself. I'm not going to put away my idols. I'm not going to stop looking to myself for my security, my power, my control. And God says, then you've given yourself then over to the destruction of those same idols. And the wrath of God will rightly fall on you. In anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. God's judgment is very real. His judgment is very real. He will not be mocked. He will not be relegated to second place, let alone last place. He's the maker. He's the sustainer. He alone is God. And he says, turn to me. Turn to me. And God in his grace is willing to do painful surgery on us to root out this sin, to make us well for those who are willing to listen. And this passage gives us three things that God will do for those who do listen. Verses 7 to 9. I'm going to start with verse 9. He says, your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries and all your enemies shall be cut off. Those who humble themselves and turn to God 
will find their salvation in him. Find salvation from your enemies. You'll find that this this whole world and all that it has to throw at us, all the judgment and wrath of God that could rightly fall on us will be removed. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries and your enemies shall be cut off. They'll be cut off. Sin will be cut off. And we know that God has accomplished that for us. Our salvation has been brought about through Jesus Christ who was cut off. Our sin was put on him. God nailed it to the cross and put it to death. God's wrath was poured out on his own son. He was cut off that we might be made well. Salvation comes to those who humble themselves and run back to the God who desires to make them well. And then we see two other things in verses 7 and 8 that come as a part of that salvation. Verse 7 says, Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like a dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. This is a, this is a specific announcement here, as God is about to exile his people, but he's got a remnant that he's preserving for himself amongst his people, and he's saying, you're going to be scattered out there, That was a result of the exile, right? They're going to be scattered around the world, but you're going to be a blessing there. I will save you, and I will make you a blessing, scattering you throughout. And the same holds true today. As God saves people, as God calls a church to himself, he has scattered us. He's put us amidst the, the, the peoples of the world like dew, like a refreshment, a blessing upon them. And ultimately, we see a victory as well. Verse 8, And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forests, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Those enemies are sin. God's wrath for our sin and those around who have rejected God and would seek to be oppressors of God and his people will have no victory over us because our victory is in Christ. We will tread down our adversaries because he has tread down the adversary. Sin and death have been defeated. What should the experience of a, of a pandemic like this, like we're experiencing right now, what should it do for us as Christians? Here's what it should do. It should recenter us in our dependence upon Christ and it should serve for us as a reminder of God's refining fire to purify his people, to root out the idols from among us, to, 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 to lay us bare, to, to strip us down from, from any sense of self-reliance that we might be clinging to and recenter us back on holy, being wholly dependent on Christ. And pandemics are opportunities for believers not to question our faith, but to renew it. There's an opportunity here to renew our faith. Remember uh, Esteban taught from the book of of Habakkuk last week, and in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, was a key verse of that whole whole book, and the, the verse says this. It says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but 
The righteous shall live by faith. Right? There's the the pictures of two kinds of people, the puffed up and the righteous. And the righteous shall live by faith. Faith. This is what God is trying to produce in his people. I'm confident of that. Even as I, I can't say with any certainty, you know, why this pandemic? Why now? Why, what, here's what I am confident of. God is building up his people in faith. Faith in Christ. Christ alone is our hope in life and death. So let this be a time of repentance and a time of renewal for you. Don't waste your quarantine. Don't waste it. Don't don't waste your loss of income. Don't waste your sense of vulnerability. Be thankful, even in those difficulties, that God in his mercy and grace is, is, is cutting out perhaps things that have gotten in the way Christ is peeling back the the facade of our self-reliance. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. And I believe that he's peeling back the facade of self-reliance on many people who yet don't know him because he loves them. And that God will use this as an opportunity to draw more and more people to himself. You know, the people of, of Israel and the people of Judah to whom Micah was speaking They were graciously being warned. Look around. Consider what's going on around you. Consider your own lives. And the question before them was this, would they turn to the Lord or not? Would they turn to the Lord or would they continue in their self-reliance and in their idolatry? And I want you to know that the Apostle Paul says something similar to Christians, a similar question that he puts before us. Will we turn to the Lord or continue in self-reliance? Will we be cut off or will we be drawn in? Romans chapter 11, verses 20 to 23. Let me, let me read that for you as well. Paul, speaking of the people of Israel, says they were broken off because of their unbelief. But you, Christians, stand fast through faith. So don't become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note, he says, the kindness and severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, he says, you too will be cut off. And then speaking again of of the Israelites, he says, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they'll be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. Paul's saying, learn, learn. This isn't a time of of unbelief. This isn't a time of continuing in unbelief. This is a time for faith. This is a time for dependence upon Christ. This is a time to note the kindness of God, even amidst the severity of God. Christ is the source of all power. Christ is 
our security, our ultimate security. Christ is in control of all things. He holds all things together, and he alone is our provision. Christ is all of these things. Here's the question to us. Will we look to him? Will we look to him? May we be a people. This is my prayer. May we be a people who are forever imprinted by the pandemic that we're experiencing because it's a time that reminds us that we are a people who are forever imprinted by the cross of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. He is our Savior. He is the Lord. He is worthy of all of our lives. And he'll do whatever it takes in love to remind us of that fact to make us well. Will you look to him? Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that you would help us to be wise, to consider the times, Lord. Not to, not to be foolish and, Lord, not to overthink what's going on, not to say things that you haven't said, but at the same time be very aware, God, that we are in a, we're, see, we're seeing before our eyes the evidences of a broken and fallen world that's a direct result of human sin. It's a direct result of, of people saying, we don't need you, God. And let us be very aware that our own hearts have said those very words. There is no one who is righteous. There is none without sin, not even one. Lord, we all need you. So I thank you, Lord, that in your grace, you cut out the idolatries of our lives. You lay us bare. You remind us that, that we, we can't depend on ourselves. We can't save ourselves. And then you send your son who comes to save us. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, may your people's faith in Christ deepen. May our, our holiness grow. May our dependence upon you become more and more certain and sure in our lives, Lord. May we not forget what you're doing right now for our good. And Father, may you draw more people to yourself. May, may this calamity remind us all that we have no power, we have no control, we have no security, and we have no prosperity apart from you. Lord, use your people to be the mouthpiece and the example of the hope of Jesus Christ to a world that's looking for hope right now. Father, be glorified in all things. You are worthy. And Lord, we submit ourselves to you in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.